0: Right, right, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Galatians. We are in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. If you're using the Bible under the f- seat in front of you, and you're not sure where Galatians is, you can find it at page 1,341. love to have you turn with us and read along with us this morning lord as we go into this new year i do pray that we would have a new appetite a new desire a new commitment to you refresh us pray that we'd grow this year Lord, individually, I pray that this church would grow. I pray that families would grow in the faith. I pray that your church worldwide would grow radically this year. I pray that we would cooperate with you. That we would be those who are obedient to you, recognizing that you are are the master, and we're the servants. Speak to us, I pray, from your word this evening, in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a famous Gothic novella called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. How many of you read that book? One person. But I do think we're all familiar with it, at least we're familiar with the premise, right? Dr. Jekyll, sensitive, compassionate, educated scientist and doctor, but he has a monster living inside an evil alter ego, Mr. Hyde. He's a hideous creature without compassion or remorse. Now, Dr. Jekyll wants to keep the monster hidden. So he comes up with this serum to take, which is supposed to keep the monster at bay, but it doesn't work, and Mr. Hyde takes over. So sometimes he's Dr. Jekyll, sometimes he's Mr. Hyde, and by the end of the story, Mr. Hyde has taken over and killed them both. It really is an interesting piece of literature. Well, there's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde feel to our text this evening. Look what Paul writes in verse 19. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're clear, they're obvious, they're easy to see. They are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So notice first in verse 19 that Paul mentions the flesh. Now that's Mr. Hyde. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. Flesh... Refers to the sinful nature of every single human being. All of us are sinners by nature. We're born with a sinful nature, the flesh. You have a Mr. Hyde in you, and he's a monster. And he's capable of all kinds of atrocities and wickedness and depraved, sinful activities. Look at this list, the works of the flesh. Sexual sin. Verse 19, adultery. That's having sexual relations with anyone other than your spouse. Or having sexual relations with someone who's married to someone else fornication that's the famous greek word pornea we get the word pornography from that it speaks of all sexual immorality all sexual sin now understand according to god's word sexual activity is only permitted within the context of a marriage relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime all sexual activity outside of that is fornication, pornea, a work of the flesh. Uncleanness could be translated filth, filthy, sexual perversion. So that would include pornography, prostitution. Homosexuality, transgender activity, all of that kind of stuff. Dark, depraved, unclean. Lewdness is a word that speaks of sexual excess. Someone who's driven, who lives by sexual perversion. Those are works of the flesh. Your sinful nature has the capacity to do that junk. Then there's a couple of works of the flesh that have sort of a religious overtone to them, if you can believe it. Idolatry, verse 20. Idolatry is elevating anything or anybody or any concept above God. We were all made and created to know God, to love God, to worship him alone. When you worship anything higher than God, that is a work of the flesh. Sorcery. Also translated witchcraft. The dark arts. Occultic behavior. Ouija boards, seances, conjuring, spirit writing, all of that. Astrology, living by your horoscope. Did you know that that is a gross work of the flesh? You keep going on, hatred, hating people, bitterly hating other people wanting other people dead contentions very strong disputes and arguments either verbal or physical brawling jealousies being angry and resentful at other people for what they have that you don't have being jealous of somebody's possessions Somebody's uh, personality, somebody's relationship, somebody's power, whatever that might be. That is a gross work of the flesh. Outbursts of wrath, explosive anger, losing it, screaming at people, cussing at people, road rage, selfish ambitions. Selfishness is a work of the flesh. It's a work of the sinful nature. Where you're all caught up on yourself. You live a selfish life. You're a narcissist. Everything's about you. You'll hurt anybody to give yourself gain. A work of the flesh. Dissensions, heresies, these, both these words speak of division. This speaks of people who actively try to divide people and create factions to get one group against another group, creating all this division and unrest. Boy, does that ring a bell in our political environment, don't you think? The division that's being created. Envy, very closely related to jealousy. Murders, killing people, violence. All those characteristics, all those works of the flesh that I just mentioned, those are the ones that create societal unrest. They tear apart friendships and marriages, countries, communities, ugliness. Verse 21 says drunkenness, intoxication, getting wasted. It would speak of any type of substance abuse abusing alcohol, cocaine, marijuana, fentanyl, heroin. That is a work of the flesh. Revelries. Just substitute this word for that parties. Party, party, party. Gatherings with people that are drug fueled, alcohol abused, sexual immorality, rampant. So, this is the type of activity that might happen in a nightclub, a bar. Somebody's big party in their backyard. You know, party, party, party. I got to tell you. That really, to me, that's the big thing in America. Party, party, party. Everyone has to party, party, party. Those are works... Of the flesh. And notice that's not an exhaustive list. Just as I told you beforehand in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom. I'm sorry. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Meaning there's a lot more works of the flesh that are very evident. So, the work of the flesh, the Mr. Hyde, All of us have that sinful nature and all of us are capable of living that way. And by the way, we live in a society that promotes that, that elevates it, don't we? In fact, you could read these verses that I just read and they could serve as a synopsis for many movies and TV shows and books. Come see our movie. And learn about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, revelries, drunkenness, party, party, party. The works of the flesh. And by the way, the warning is very strong in verse 21. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Key word there is practice. If that's your lifestyle, if that's your continual behavior in life, if that's your repeated disposition, this is how you are day and day. Then Paul says, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. If what we just read characterizes your lifestyle, you're not saved. You're Mr. Hyde without any restraint. Your sinful nature has no restraint. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. So that's Mr. Hyde. Let's go to the good doctor, shall we? Dr. Jekyll. Look what he says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. Doesn't that look so much better? Works of the flesh. Black and white. Death. Fruit of the Spirit. Color. Life. Folks, this section... Describes a beautiful, miraculously fruitful life that is governed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. A person with a new nature, a person who's born again, a person who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And a person like that is characterized. By the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, love. Love. This is the Greek word agape, agape love. Supernatural love. Love that's sacrificial. Love that is unconditional. Love that's lasting. Love that's long. There's so much in that word love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. An inner gladness. Despite tough circumstances. A radiance of the Spirit. Peace. Inner security and confidence. Things could be going wrong all around you but you're at peace. Peace is the opposite of war. You have the peace of the Holy Spirit living in you and you can be at peace with other people. Tranquil, polite, getting along. Goes on to say, after peace, long-suffering. Of course, we should pronounce that long-suffering, right? The Greek words macrothumia, macro meaning long, thumos meaning hot, long to get hot. Also translated patient. Meaning you're you're good with people, even problem people, you forgive people, you suffer long, you bear with people, you give people the benefit of the doubt. Kindness. I love this word. This is a word that literally means being useful and profitable to others. Being useful and profitable to others. When you're kind and you're around other people, you're useful to them. You're profitable. People benefit. Because you're around. Goodness. Benevolent. Active goodness. Seeking to do good to others. Faithfulness. Reliable. Trustworthy. You're faithful to your spouse. You're faithful to your friends. People can count on you. You're trustworthy. Gentleness. This is a word that's also translated as meekness in the Bible. Now, when you think of somebody gentle or meek, a lot of times, according to this world, you'll think of somebody who's weak. It's not that. Remember, meekness, the Greeks taught, is great power under control. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, you should be a powerful person. Powerful in personality, powerful in, in, in talent, powerful in all that you do. But it's great power that's under control. You're gentle with people. You're kind with people. You're tender. Self-control. A fruit of the Spirit. Spirit. The ability to control yourself. So you control your sexuality. You control your anger. You have control over any substance that might be abused. It's the complete and total opposite of the works of the flesh. Samuel Chadwick had a great interpretation of the fruit of the Spirit, this very passage. He says, in newspaper English, the passage reads something like this. The fruit of the Spirit is an affectionate, lovable disposition, a radiant spirit and a cheerful temper, a tranquil mind and a quiet manner, a forbearing patience in provoking circumstances and with trying people. Sympathetic insight and tactful helpfulness, generous judgment and big souled charity, loyalty and reliableness under all circumstances, humility that forgets self in the joy of others, in all things self mastered and self controlled, which is the final mark of perfection. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, the flesh, the spirit. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be the man, the woman who is characterized by the fruit of the spirit, or do you want to be the man or woman who is characterized by the works of the flesh? Who would you like to live next door to? The person who is characterized by the works of the flesh or the person who is characterized by the fruit of the Holy Spirit? How do we get like that? Well, we don't get to be the fruit of the Spirit by taking a serum like Dr. Jekyll tried, right? It comes by the powerful work of God. It comes through salvation. It comes by being born again. And my friends, that can only happen through the gospel of grace. The message that is proclaimed and championed by Paul the Apostle in the book of Galatians. We're all sinners. We all have that sinful nature. It creates wrecks of our lives. Puts us at odd with God. God in his grace and mercy and love. Love. provided his son, provided a way, sent Jesus, the son of God, who came to give his life for the sins of the world, to take the penalty that we deserved. He died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he rose again. And the glorious gospel message is that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven, And you become born again, transformed on the inside, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of that by the grace of God. You can't save yourself, you can't do enough good works, you can't be religious. It is the power of God. It is a miraculous move of God in your life. And I'm going to tell you what, the born again experience it changes your life forever. When you're born again, when you meet Jesus, it changes you. I remember when I gave my life to Jesus even at the age of 7. I felt like God became my father. I've heard lots of people you know, speak of it as something where you feel like this weight has come off of you. The blinders have come off. Have you experienced that? Only the power of God. Now I'm not saying that everyone's going to get goosebumps and have the same type of emotional reaction but my friend when you give your life to Jesus you encounter God and there's a miracle that should take place in your heart where you're changed and you know it has that happened to you you say well I'm, I'm, I'm really not all sure if that's happened you'll know You'll know. And maybe what needs to happen is you need to to get alone with God. To ponder your own wickedness, your sinfulness. To understand how desperately you need a Savior. And to think about what Christ has done for you. And to go to him yourself and cry out. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Ask him to change you. Ask him. ...to make you born again. We cannot save ourselves. Okay, now listen carefully. The Christian life doesn't end with conversion. The Christian life... ...begins with conversion. There's a process that you follow as a Christian. There's growth that must take place... When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again into the family of God as a baby, and you need to grow. But you also need to understand this. You're in a war. I don't know if you know this, but when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you entered a war. It's a battle. And it's a battle that's going to take place your whole life. The devil is your enemy. The devil wants to stop you from growing, wants to stop you from reproducing. The world system is your enemy. But here's the thing. Your greatest enemy is you. The flesh. You see, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are born again. You are given a new nature. But you still have the old nature. You have the old sinful you. And look up there at verse 17, what Paul says. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So this is a real picture of what takes place in your life. You have the new nature, and you have the old nature. And they're contrary to one another. Your new nature in Christ wants to do what's right. Your old nature wants to do what's wrong. And they battle one another. Schofield gave this wonderful illustration about these two trees. He says the problem of the Christian life is based on the fact that so long as the Christian lives in this world, he is, so to speak, two trees. The old tree of the flesh and the new tree of the divine nature implanted by the new birth. And the problem itself is how to keep barren the old tree and to make fruitful the new tree. That is a perfect illustration of what exists in the life of every single Christian. There's two trees. and you have to keep the old tree barren and make the new tree fruitful and i'm not going to put a, a rosy perspective on this this is a this is a battle that every single christian faces and this is a battle that will never go away this side of heaven you know i've actually met christians that think when you become a Christian, your flesh gets eradicated and that you can reach a point where you no longer sin in this life. Not one sinful thought or action or deed. Bonk! Wrong answer, right? There's no way. This passage is not teaching that. This passage teaches that it will be a lifelong conflict and fight I've been a Christian a long time. I still feel the struggle. From the personal experience of many people as Christians, the struggle's still there. I can't think of a more amazing Christian than the Apostle Paul himself. And Paul said in Romans chapter 7, what I'm doing I do not understand, for what I will to do that I do not practice but what I hate, that I do. That's Paul the Apostle. He goes on to say, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I do. That's, that's Paul. That's struggle. That struggle. Is real. In fact, I would submit to you that if you feel that struggle, that's proof that you're a born-again Christian. If you don't feel the struggle and you just sin, you're not born again. I agree with one scholar who said, Indeed, one may go further and say that this is a specifically... Christian conflict, we do not deny that there is such a thing as moral conflict in non Christian people, but we assert that it 's fiercer in Christians because they possess two natures: flesh and spirit in irreconcilable antagonism, feeling this battle, experiencing the fearness of this battle is proof so how do we win that battle you get saved first of all first step but then how do you win this battle between the spirit and the flesh well I'll tell you one thing you don't join a religion you don't go under a law you don't become a legalist that's what all the false teachers want you to do. What does Paul say in verse 24? And those who are Christ. Have crucified the flesh. With its passions. And desires. That's what you need to do. You need to crucify your flesh. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3. Put to death your members. Which are on the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness passion, evil desire, and covetousness. So as a Christian, you need to be thinking about this idea that you will crucify your old self. Now there's a lot more that goes into that, and and really Paul's biggest treatment of that is in Romans chapter 6, which I think Daniel did such a good job on, on Sunday. As a Christian, You need to know who you are in Christ. That you have become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. That there's a new you. And that the old you died with Christ. You need to know that you're a new person. And the old you is dead. Know that. And then every day reckon that. To be so. And then as Paul goes on. Restore or remove things from your life. And then also replace things from your life. So the idea of crucifying the flesh is every morning, get up, remember who you are. As you encounter things throughout the day, reckon it to be so who you are. Choose to remove things from your life and choose to replace evil things in your life. With those things that are good. Act. Like the new you. That you've become. Be intentional about that. What else does he go on to say? Verse 25. If we live in the spirit. Let us also walk. In the spirit. And then look also at verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So as a Christian, you know these things about who you are in Christ. And you also live a life that is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Who indwells you and will never leave you or forsake you. To walk in the spirit means to, to live your life in a constant dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know, really, the power of the Holy Spirit is what sets Christianity away from all of the other religions that are self-effort. I want you to think about this for a moment. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Dwells in you. Jesus made that promise. He said, after I leave, I'm going to send you another helper just like me. Now you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And Paul, to him, that's the biggest part of the Christian faith. That's the biggest change. You put your faith in Christ, you're saved, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And you depend upon him. You're listening for him. It says in verse 16. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to win the battle? Be mindful of the Holy Spirit every day. Be dependent upon Him. Let Him produce that fruit in your life. Never lose your sense of awareness of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple other verses that I'd like to put up tonight. Very important words that Jesus said to His disciples in John chapter 15. He said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much, what? Fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Christian. The Christian faith is not a religion, it's not rules and regulations, it's remembering who you are every day, it's being dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and it's abiding in Jesus Christ. It's living your life focused on Christ Jesus. To abide in Jesus means to stay connected to Him. To be growing in your personal relationship with Him. The Christian faith for you should be all about Jesus. Getting to know Jesus more and more. Spending time with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that you begin talking like the people you hang out with? You ever notice that? Especially teenagers, right? They'll start talking or behaving just like all the people that they're spending time with. And, and we adults, we do the same thing. Spend time with Christ. Christ. Let him be front and center. That's your focus. Paul will go on in Galatians, and we'll get to this next week, to say, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will love the spirit, reap everlasting life. The the law of, of sowing and reaping. Whatever you sow to, you will reap. It's absolutely true in agricultural. It's absolutely true spiritually. You want to win this battle in your life, Christian? Sow to the spirit. Don't sow to the flesh. Don't fill your mind with fleshly things. Don't don't read the garbage. Don't watch the garbage. Don't listen to the garbage. Someone said this battle in the Christian is sort of like a fight between two dogs. And which dog wins? The one that you feed. Feed the spirit. Starve the flesh. Have that daily Bible reading time. Memorize the scripture. Spend time with people who will encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So into that. The other thing I would say, and I think this is always a great exhortation to remember stay busy. Paul says, Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Oh, my brother and sister in Christ, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't stop doing good. Stay busy. Don't live an idle life. I love how Wesley put it. Do all the good you can in all the ways you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Not good? So fill your time. You got too much downtime and it gets you in trouble? Fill it. You got some downtime? Go serve soup at a soup kitchen. Get involved in the studies at your church. Go have coffee with godly men and women. Stop doing the bad activity, but don't just stop. Replace with good activity. As it says in Romans 6, Present, present the members of your body to God as instruments of good. Don't let Mr. Hyde win, okay? Kill Mr. Hyde. God has saved you. God has changed you. God has transformed you. God has given you so many resources. And the works of the flesh is so dangerous and so destructive. No Christian should go back to that mess. Amen. Amen. You're a born again Christian now. Don't forget who you are, you are a spectacular miracle. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. Act like it. Make use of it. Reckon it to be so. Please understand that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Depend upon Him. Please understand that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Abide in Him. Sow to your spirit, not to the flesh stay busy now again as Christians we're not going to live that perfect a life we're going to make mistakes we're going to go through some rocky roads the scripture tells us exactly what to do when that happens confess your sins come back to Christ confess your sins ask him to restore you Ask him to renew you. And he'll do exactly that. There are so many chances with God. He's so generous, so gracious. If you've blown it, get back up. Come back to Christ. Struggle on, friend. Heaven is coming by the way. Where there will be no more sin. No more sinful nature. No more Mr. Hyde. But until that day, until that day, struggle on, fight. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let me challenge you as a, as a, as a born-again Christian. You're separate from this world. Don't live like that. You're a man of God. You're a woman of God. You're born again by the power of God at the incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died for your sins and rose again. Do you recognize how powerful that is? Mm-hmm. So serve the Lord. Live for him. If there's some changes in your life, if there are some things that you need to remove, remove them. If you need to get more busy about serving him, then do so. If you need to start hanging out with other people that will influence you in a more godly way, do so. He's worth it. Go back to those daily times where you spend with Jesus. Daily Bible reading and prayer. Ask for an awareness of his presence with you. Look for him throughout your day. Return to him. And maybe you're here tonight or you're listening online, and, and um, man, your life's dark, it's ugly. Have you been born again? Have you met Jesus? Have you responded to the gospel of grace? It all starts there. You've got to be changed. The Bible says that those who are in Christ Jesus are a brand new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Has that happened to you? I'm not asking if you've gone to church, if you've done a lot of Christian things, if you've tried to do these religious stuff. It doesn't matter. Have you met Christ? Have you asked him to be your savior? Has there been a miracle in your life? I would be delighted right now to lead you in a prayer. Just to help you in your own, this is, you have to personally cry out to God for yourself and ask him to save you. This is just a a template. But in your heart, say to him something like this, Lord, save me. Remove this burden of guilt. Take it away. Make me a brand new creation. Fill me with your spirit. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and rising again. And I invite you. I surrender. I fall before you. I cry out to you. Save me and change me. Make me born again. Help me to follow you. Jesus' name, amen.